May peace be with you. If you stick around at the end, there's more information about our community and how to find us. And now, here's this week's Centering Scripture, followed by the sermon. Our scripture this morning is 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 10. For it is the God who said, Light will shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in clay jars, so that they may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying around in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be made visible in our bodies. And an excerpt of a poem, Kindness, by Naomi Shia Nye. Before you know kindness as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak it till speak it to you must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd to say, it is I you have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. Thank you, Nicole. So this will be a a dialogue sermon. I'm going to welcome St. Luker, Evelyn Hayden, to come forward to join us here, and As Evelyn makes her way up, though, I'll I'll simply note here at the top that this sermon is going to function as a bit of a continuation of last week's reflection on love. So if you were able to take that in, wonderful. You have the prelude. If not, this is a good chance to go back and watch a previously recorded worship service here at St. Luke. In that service, we reflected on love as a process of opening ourselves to the world and to others, even when it comes with the risk of being hurt when we experience loss or disappointment. If love is an opening of the self to the world, then today we will explore how sorrow is an honoring of just how much love we were able to let in while we did that. When we bless and honor the sorrow that comes with loss, what we do is recognize and honor the love that has found a home in our hearts. And today we will honor that we do that, not only as human beings, but we do that in a special way as the church. That is something that we have committed to doing with and for each other. 
And so with that, Evelyn and I will have a conversation about what that looks like uh, throughout different stages of life. So, Evelyn, there we go. <laughs> See if mine's Thank in. you for your willingness to join me uh, in this conversation here. Um, as a simple beginning for our time together, I'm wondering if you could tell us about the poem, or in this case, the blessing, that you selected for our summer series, and why, why this poem speaks to you. Why the choice? Okay, the poem I chose is Bayonacht, which is Gaelic for blessing, and you have a copy of it in your bulletin. You also have a, a reference to a link online, and what's really lovely is to hear it read by John O'Donohue. He has this, you know, beautiful Irish uh, Gaelic accent, and you can find it on that link. So I first heard this, I don't know, years ago, I think. It was written many moons ago, and then I've heard, I've heard Brennan use it a couple of times, at least, uh, maybe in memorial services. And, well, for one thing, I mean, I admit I was an English major, and I love poetry. And <laughs> just the music of the words just captures me. And I would like it for that alone. But I also think that it's, um, well, I'll read it, and you can see what meaning it has for you. Oh, and I should add, the first time I ever read this or heard it, I had to look up Curric. I had no idea what that was. That's a little boat that they use in West Ireland, have for, I think, centuries. It's usually small. It's made of like a wood frame and then uh, used to cover it with hides. Now they cover it with canvas and tar the canvas. So it's a fairly fragile boat, but it works really well, you know, in that area and others as well. And you can see pictures of it online if you care to look. So here's Bayonacht. On the day when the weight deadens on your shoulders and you stumble, may the clay dance to balance you. And when your eyes freeze behind the gray window and the ghost of loss gets into you, may a flock of colors, indigo, red, green, and azure blue, come to awaken in you a meadow of delight. When the canvas frays in the curric of thought and a stain of ocean blackens beneath you, May there come across the waters a path of yellow moonlight to bring you safely home. May the nourishment of the earth be yours. May the clarity of light be yours. May the fluency of the ocean be yours. May the protection of the ancestors be yours. And so may a slow wind work these words of love around you and invisible cloak to mind your life. Thank you for sharing that, Evelyn. Um, this is a blessing that I, I know and have shared before, as you mentioned. So it's one I've always enjoyed. And I, I have always loved the image of those last few lines of that blessing, this notion of love wrapping around you as this invisible cloak to mind your life. I, I think that of the deep love that we all strive to feel with family, with deep friendships, with our God, and, I, I, yeah, I love that image of an ever-present embrace. I'm curious, though, in, in the context of today. So um, I, I spend a lot of time as pastor 
working with you all, connecting with you all in times and spaces of grief. And while I've experienced loss in my own life, um, I've never lost someone that has been particularly close to me. Uh, my dad died when I was younger, though that was a pretty distant relationship. Um, and I was reflecting on the words that Jan Richardson had in the, in the opening blessing. She describes an absence so fierce it becomes its own force. And, and I'm mindful that many of you may know exactly what she's talking about in a way that I haven't quite felt directly yet. Um, and Evelyn, I was really humbly glad when you said yes to, to, to this invitation because I know that you have experienced some deep loss in your own life uh, with both a partner and a daughter. Uh, and so I am wondering how these words, this image of, of this cloak that is enfolding you, um, is that something that you feel in the absence of a loved one, uh, this comforting weight, or is, is it more of an absence than, than an embrace? How has that image kind of changed for you as you've gone through your own grieving and remembering? That's a hard question uh, to untangle those feelings because there are so many. And particularly when grief is new, it feels very heavy indeed, just weighs on you. Um, and as time goes by, that physical feeling of, of weight lifts, you still have the absence. And it's really interesting. This is totally an aside, but when I woke up yesterday morning, I thought, oh, it's July 23rd. That, that date rings a bell. I wonder if it's somebody's birthday. And I thought, oh, that was my anniversary. <laughs> so this is after nearly five years since my spouse died. That no longer has the same impact. I mean, I barely remember the date. It was a little embarrassing, actually. Of course, if you know how absent-minded I am, <laughs> it's not hard to believe. But... Um, yeah, um, some of you know my family history, and I'll just give you the nutshell version. Uh, my dad came back from World War II, stayed briefly, and went off to greener pastures. So he was always absent in my life, you know, except for maybe once every five years. I'd see him for a few days. Um, we got to be friends when I was an adult, but when he died, it was like, maybe like you, I don't know, um, you know, I was sad he died, but he had a long life. He lived to almost to 81, and um, yeah, we'd never been, I mean, never lived, well, you get the idea. Now, when my mother died, that was a different story because it was just she and I through all those growing up years. And I was, I had just turned 23 when she died. So I really felt that one. I was, you know, feeling pretty bereft. However, Dick and I had just gotten married six months previously, and we were living in Alaska. So even that, you know, was somewhat um, distant in that sense. I hadn't lived at home since I left for college. Um, and then the thing is, as you all know, it depends so much on the type of death. So we're not going to speak here about the ones that are sudden or, you know, suicides are really, really difficult. You know, these kids get shot in North Many, I mean, those are totally other experiences, which we'll leave for another discussion. The ones I'm talking about today were people to whom I was really close. So my parents both died of cancer, as did various aunts and uncles. Um, 
On Dick's side, which we didn't know when we were having kids, there was myotonic muscular dystrophy, which is a genetic disease. So a whole bunch of people on his side of the family had it. We didn't even know it until our children were a little older. So the long and the short of that one is um, he lost all three of the children had it. It's a 50-50 crapshoot, really, whether you get it or not, but he and his two sisters. Anyway, um, so it can be from very mild to very severe. Our youngest daughter, Elizabeth, realized when she was about 19 that she had it. There are signs, and by then we knew what to look for. My husband was very lucky. He had it on the mild end, and so he didn't really start showing symptoms till he was in his 60s. And those of you who knew him probably saw kind of that decline as he could no longer, you know, walk up to the risers and stuff like that. So, so that was very different, too. So you have a disease or you have a disability, and that changes the way things are. So oftentimes there's relief when that person is no longer alive because their quality of life was going to be only worse. Mm -hmm. And so that helps temper the grief somewhat. But especially in the case of a spouse, because you're used to sharing the breakfast table and the conversations. And, you know, it's every, well, by the time you're retired, almost every minute of every day. <laughs> so, yeah. so that felt really empty. Mm-hmm. And that's where that cloak, I mean, many of you, most of you here probably were with me through that whole time. I mean, to be accepting of the tears, to give hugs when there were no words, to remember to invite me. I mean, I'm not going to mention names because I don't want to embarrass you, but some of you were really, really good about, oh, come have coffee or, you know, just something to make you feel. And Judy alluded to the community of love last week. And truly, without a community of love, whether it's your church or your whomever, I mean, I don't know how you get through it because the beginning days, weeks, months are really, really difficult. There's no getting around it. Evelyn, can I interject a question here? I'm I'm just mindful. Um, So when you're in the midst of that loss and you're receiving invitations from some of these folks, uh, I think a lot of us has been in a case where, gosh, we know that someone is grieving the loss of a spouse or a child and maybe find ourselves in that tricky position of, I don't know, do, do we disturb them? Would Evelyn like to hear from, would she like to be asked to coffee or tea? Or is it better to, to leave her alone? And when you were, when folks were reaching out to you, how did you experience that? Or do you have any wisdom for folks who might find themselves kind of in that position of, gosh, I want to say something, but I don't know what to say. Does she want company? I don't know. Yeah, that's a tricky one. And of course, the other thing is that, as you probably know, every person grieves differently. So that also changes the mix. So um, for me, I mean, you're already thinking about it. I know sometimes, it's, oh, if I mention it, they'll, you know, they'll think about it. Well, trust me, they're thinking about it. <laughs> and if they're not ready for being social, they'll tell you so. They'll just say, you know, well, no thanks, not right now. That's not too difficult. And as far as words, I mean, it was funny. I live at Folkestone, as you know, which is a senior community. And we have scads of widows there. So the first people I ran into, that was true after my daughter died and after my husband died, they don't try to talk to you. They just welcome you with open arms and give you a big, warm embrace. And mm. <laughs> I thought that was just perfect. 
you know. Um, so for me, that was good. And I tend to be an introvert, so I, I know you won't believe that, but it's true. <laughs> so I could stay in my apartment if I wanted to, but I, you know, I still went to exercise class, et cetera, et cetera. And I know one of the uh, employees once said, you know, I think it's great that you're getting out. And um, I know at least one other person that, sh that shares that feeling. And I said, well, I could stay in my apartment and mope, but what would be the point, you know? I'm better off just getting out and moving around and being with people and having activities. And that, by the way, is an advantage of a senior living community. <laughs> you can't hole up in your house for too long. Um, so I don't know if that answers your question or not, yeah. but for me it was very reassuring, yeah. very comforting. It's, it's interesting to kind of pair those back to back. We, we started this conversation around the embrace and then you talked about the feeling of absence in the midst of their loss. And then you just mentioned, you know, early on, it's not even words. It's folks who just enfold you with a hug. Yeah. Um, and I'm just thinking about that image side by side, the feeling of an absence and then the gift of a hug, even without words. Um, and I imagine that that was, yeah, special and needed just to have that feeling of, touch and you know i think we, we we live in a society where we now rightly talk about consent and appropriate touch absolutely uh, but we also know that touch comes there's a really healing aspect to it and i think you know when done with respect and mutuality and across friends touch a hug that gift of presence even without words i mean this whole summer series is about words <laughs> but in sometimes it's it's not words it's just presence or a hug yeah absolutely and I would backtrack just a little bit, and I would say, because a lot of people have said, oh, to lose a child must be the hardest thing. Well, yes and no. Again, it depends on the situation. If it's a young child and they are with you day in and day out, of course. Excuse me. Um, in my case with Elizabeth, we hadn't been in the same household for quite a few years. So our day-to-day -day lives were not entwined. And so that was hard in a different way, just the idea of losing a child. But if it's a child that you rarely see and you're not part of their day-to-day -day life, it's a whole different feeling again. And the same, her, the man she was married to for 10 years until she died, just died this past spring, uh, age 47. She was 40 when she died. And I felt really bad because he had just been married for less than a year and I felt so sorry for his wife. But again, I didn't see Dan he came for Dick's funeral, but otherwise, you know, we'd text occasionally or do online, but, you know, I wasn't close to him. So, again, it had a different, a different feel. And, again, you all have different situations, and you all know how it's been for you and how it affects you. So it's, it's so individual. Um, it's like you meet one grieving person, you know one grieving person. <laughs> On the other hand, there is, you know, sort of an overreaching generality that is maybe more widely applicable. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. It reminds me, in some ways, the, um, the very early days of the pandemic, um, it felt like everyone was so scared and grieving the loss of companionship. And it was, I, I think, in my professional career and personal life, it was the first time that I think mental health and the experience of grief was just so salient across the board. Um, but of course, while a lot of us, you know, walk around and carry a smile, many of us carry grief with us every single day, um, or even the memory of grief that's 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 been there a long time. And um, it's 
it is something that unites us. Um, yeah, and, and I'm curious, Evelyn, I, I, you have served as a, a befriender in the life of this church. You've served as a deacon. I'm sure you've served as many things in many churches, being married to a pastor as well for many years. Um, I, I'm curious, as, as you kind of go about the world now, as someone who has experienced, I mean, like I said, we, we all experience loss, but you have felt loss of some folks who are really close to you. Do you find yourself... Um, approaching others who are grieving in different ways? Um, or do you have kind of new, I don't know, gifts in your backpack or toolbox that you take with you? Yes, I would say absolutely. And the same is true of having had cancer. Um, so many people don't want to talk about it. They don't want to bring it up to you. They don't know how you respond. And I was lucky enough to have good friends who did not back away and invited me to talk. So after I recovered, this was 2008, for those of you who weren't around then, so I've been very fortunate. Um, I felt much more comfortable approaching people. Um, some of the Presbyterian people know Judy Kowitz. I can mention her name now. She has since passed away. But she had ovarian cancer, and it was like stage four when they discovered it. So many people didn't know what to say, and I said, hey, Judy, let's have lunch. So we got together once every month or two and had lunch. And I could name at least one other person from this congregation the same thing, where I wasn't afraid to talk about cancer anymore. And I had a little bit of an idea, even though, again, each one's different, but some sense of how that is and how isolated you can feel. And so I feel the same way about grief. Um, befriender training is fabulous. I had done a lot of grief work when I worked in the schools. Um, you know, technically, I had a lot of information in my head, but I have to say it's different <laughs> when you're the one that's experiencing it. But, yeah, I think it makes you much more comfortable um, just to be open. And I wanted to mention uh, a couple of books. There's a little series that's put out by the, his name is um, Kenneth Hauk, who founded the Stephen Ministries, which is very similar to Befrienders. And if we don't already have it in the library, Julie, I'd love to, you know, buy the series. We have room for them. They're skinny. <laughs> And this came from um, Folkestone, and Lou Frank told me that she got copies of it from uh, Little Hospice after her husband died. So it's great. It just has little snippets, like, you know, this much on a page, which is about what you can take in uh, when grief is new. But it says Finding Hope and Healing, and there's three in this series. Really, really recommend them. And there's, there's another one uh, in our library downstairs, which I found in the self-help section called Living When a Loved One Has Died by Earl Grohlman, and it's an old book, 77. But his name, he's like a, I don't know, patriarch, I guess you'd say, sort of like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, in the grief literature. And um, it's really good. And again, he just has little, little tidbits, you know, because you don't take in a lot initially. And um, I, I just read through some of it, and I mean, I'd love to just read you the book because it's great. But this is down in our library, so I recommend it highly. The other thing I want to say that's a copy down in our library on the Befriender shelf is um, The Five Wishes. Some of you are familiar with this. Um, I got copies of it years ago. In fact, I bought 25 copies and put some in the back of the sanctuary. Uh, Dick and I worked through it years ago, gave copies to all the girls, gave copies to all the Befrienders, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a wonderful, the first two parts are the legal parts, and then it's all about what would you like when you're ill? 
What, how would you like to be treated? What would you like after you die in terms of service, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? It is really, really good. And let me tell you, from when my husband died, to have worked all this through in advance and with your children, if you have adult children, is fantastic. I mean, I cannot say that enough. Be prepared, as prepared as you can be, and talk things through with your partner and whoever's going to make decisions. Because when you're under stress and the person is dying in front of you, that's not a good time to be having this conversation. You need to have it ahead of time. So this is in our library, bottom shelf, befrienders. Anyway. Thank you. That was a good public service announcement. Amen. <laughs> There's lots of other books on grief yes. and grieving yes, loss and sorrow in the St. Luke Library. Yep. yep. Absolutely. Yeah. Julie does a wonderful job of yeah. keeping it stocked on there. So, so and, and I'll thank you for that PSA. I will say as, as a working pastor, I, I do see firsthand and experience families who have talked about end-of-life issues and families who haven't. And it is very hard to navigate some of those decisions while you're trying to grieve or arrange for your sister-in-law to travel across the country and pick a memorial service date. Uh, it's, it is a real blessing to talk some of that out ahead of time. It just makes space for the real feelings to then, to then be. Um, th- there's so much more I'd love to say and get into. I want to kind of honor, honor the time here and the rest of the service. Um, so I hope that this will be a, a conversation starter for many. Um, I hope that if you have more questions, Evelyn is a fount of knowledge and experience, um, as you may have heard. But I want to end with one last question, um, which would be, you know, for anyone out there who may be here or listening, who is in a space of deep grief and loss, or who may be on the edge of that experience, kind of waiting for that shoe to drop, what advice would you have kind of for them? You know, some of this stuff may be easier to hear where we're in an okay space. But when we feel like we're in a bit of a well and we're feeling more absence than presence, um, are there any words that you would have to encourage them in that place as a first step? Yeah, I think one of the things I found helpful, I did hospice work a few years ago for um, uh, hospice of the Twin Cities and now again for Optage at Folkestone. But... um, There are always grief groups available, and sometimes you have to try more than one. I tried one after Dick died, which didn't work for me at all. But um, when I was a bereavement, uh, a volunteer in the bereavement area of hospice before, one of the women whom I have become friends with said, you know, the great thing about this group is you don't have to explain anything. Everybody gets it. And that is really, really helpful. And there are good grief counselors. I brought one name with me that was recommended by Dick Oberg, for example. And if you're feeling stuck, or even if you're not, you, I mean, after a while, your friends get tired of hearing the same story over and over and over again, which is befrienders don't mind, and a grief counselor or grief group doesn't mind either. And for me, at least, you know, I like to talk. <laughs> Surprise. Um, you know, I found that very helpful. Just, I think that's, it's, if you don't like groups, you know, go to a grief counselor or do something. Talk to Brennan, talk to me, talk to somebody. Because it helps so much just to be able to talk. And that doesn't mean that you have to let go of your grief no, or change. Not it's not, you know, those groups aren't about, we're going to help you get rid of your grief. Right. It's usually no, about, like, we're going to help give you space to honor your grief. Um, and uh, just to kind of wrap that up, but as a closing thought, I, you know, I just want to highlight again, uh, Evelyn, you mentioned that so many folks here 
made that space available for you to be with you and honor your grief. And I know from working here for five years or so that you do that for so many others too. I've seen you do that <laughs> just for so many folks here. And, and I simply give thanks for that and recognize that not every community space does that or has that, but that is part of our unique calling to be here with and for each other in those times of loss, in times of grief. That can happen in other spaces, but there aren't many places where that happens intentionally um, and, and where we come together to grieve and remember. And, you know, I remember lighting a, I think it was my first All Saints Day here, we lit a candle for Dick Hayden, whom I had never met. Um, but this community remembered. And, and it, it was clear that this community had been with you for that full year. And um, every year that I've been here, there are more and more saints that we honor and recognize. And I can see and remember now this person was loved. They are remembered. Their names are toasted when we have a columbarium happy hour out here in the courtyard. Um, it's, it's a real gift um, to be able to journey in these deep and sometimes hard spaces of life because then we find that we're not, we're not alone. So I want to thank you, Evelyn, for sharing some of your story with us and this wonderful blessing from John O'Donohue. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, and um, I'll, I'll offer Evelyn's encouragement to Listen to it later with that link in the bulletin. His Irish brogue is fantastic. So thank you, Evelyn. And that will wrap that conversation up here um, or our conversation starter. Um, and I'll invite folks to talk more with Evelyn or others afterward. David, I think that'll be you for our music offertory. Thank you again, Evelyn. As a church located on Lakota land in Minnetonka, Minnesota, St. Luke is a joyful, inclusive, intergenerational, and compassionate community on a spiritual journey seeking to do justice, make peace, and to walk humbly with God. We invite you to join us live for virtual worship each Sunday morning on Facebook or YouTube, or by following the worship links on our website, stluke.mn. Thanks for listening. May you go in peace.